0: Love Talk
1: Radio. Yakuza. Yakuza. Yakuza Kick Radio. 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 The Yakuza, Yakuza Kick Radio. This is the Bulldozer Matt Shremont. And there's one place to listen to on the internet, every Thursday, 9 p.m., Yakuza Kick Radio. Yakuza Kick Radio
0: has risen from the ashes of bad internet radio and has become the premier place for any independent professional wrestler to stop and record their voice. The shit is bananas, bananas, bananas.
1: Well, this is Mr. Insanity Toby Klein, and if you're not listening to Yakuza Kick Radio, then you're weird. Oh, I don't like the cut of your jib, fella. This is Greg Excellent, here to dragon in the Northeast. You're listening to Yakuza Kick Radio. If you're not, you're probably watching porn and you have this muted. You should be listening to it. Jason man.
2: Where are Biggie and
1: Tupac? Yakuza Kick Radio. Give a nigga a real fucking cow, Mike.
0: All you have to do is listen to Yakuza Kick Radio, but you to be Now look at that doc, you only fuck that. Black D. This is bullshit, man. Motherfucker Fuck you! Fuck you! And fuck you! Who's next? And now, ladies and gentlemen, for the introduction. Hosted by J.Cat Morris. You are now listening to Yakuza! J.C. Radio! Oh, shit! It is
3: Wednesday, June seventeenth, two thousand fifteen. Welcome to Yakuza Cake Radio. I'm your host, J.K. Morris. Uh, man, I got, I got a bunch of stuff for you tonight. I'm gonna later on. I'm gonna cover uh, a review, I should say, Tournament of Death fourteen. Um, actually, my thirteenth Tournament of Death that I have attended because uh, I mean, if you count the the rewind one that I went to plus. Um, You know, twelve others. I've uh, I've attended that because I missed one of the rewind ones. uh, I think number twelve, and the first one. So um, technically, there have been sixteen of deaths, and I've attended thirteen. So I'll be uh, you know reviewing that one later. Uh, You know, I got a little bit of talk about uh, Battle Frog is coming up this weekend, so I'm gonna you know get into that a little bit. Um, next week is going to be my, uh, huge trip out to, uh, King of the Deathmatch for my first time. It's going to be probably the biggest trip of, uh, of my life. Honestly, I don't think I've ever gone that far from my house. Um, well, I mean, I guess, you know, Florida or whatever, um, you know, when I was younger, it's been quite some time, but definitely drive-wise, I've never been on an 11-hour car ride, so that's going to be uh, pretty intense in itself. And then, of course, uh, the infamous King of the Death match out there. So that's that's going to be really, really intense, and I'm excited for it. Um, obviously, um, one thing I definitely got to put out there is uh, rest in peace to the American dream, Dusty Rhodes. Um, I mean, one of the biggest legends in the history of the business, you know. So it's, it's a real shame to lose a guy like that. Um, he meant so much to so many people, and you know, was a good inspiration for the majority of people. I mean, if you got a favorite wrestler out there, uh, I guarantee he was inspired by the American dream. So, uh, you know, rest in peace to that dude. Uh, was, to, me, unexpected. I mean, I, you know, I had said some things, you know, joking, whatever, but, uh, he had looked uh, pretty horrendous on TV the past, you know, a couple of times I've seen him and, uh, you know, not like you expect that type of thing, but, um, yeah, that's just a shame overall. Um, but anyway, I do believe I have my guest on the line now, and he is none other than a 25-year veteran in the wrestling business, the Sensei to the Nap Down Dragons, American kickboxer Izzy High.
1: Hey, how you guys doing tonight?
3: Hey, what's going on, man? Well,
1: another day in
3: paradise, eh? <laughs> so, yeah man. I have a bunch of stuff to ask you, and um, I'll just get right into it um i you know, I watched the the video you you put out there. Uh, you had grown up in Detroit.
1: uh no, I kind of grew up in the midwest a little bit. My life has been kind of like the uh the gypsy, you might say, man, I've lived kind of everywhere. I claim Detroit because I lived there the longest. Uh, eight years is kind of the oh. longest I ever lived in any one spot, so I always claim Detroit, and the, the town and the people there have always you know, shown me such love and everything else, so yeah, I, I claim Detroit as a home,
3: yeah. What was it like uh, growing up in Detroit? I didn't
1: grow or up least... there. I grew up in the well, Midwest. I grew up in, the, in Dayton, uh... Ohio. Um, I spent, uh, I guess maybe the ch- my childhood, uh, around Dayton, Ohio area. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I, I grew up in martial arts studios, basically around that area. So that, that, wow. that was somewhat of my childhood. Yeah.
3: Yeah. So how early did you get into martial arts?
1: I first started out probably around the age of seven, maybe. Uh, and uh, that was in Tang Soo a form of Taekwondo.
3: And then uh,
1: went into Kusateme uh, Se which is an uh, Okinawan form of Japa karate, uh, founded by uh, Gichin Funakoshi, who is the founder of Shotokan Karate and such. Um, then went into more of a Muay Thai, but throughout that time was doing Greco Roman and freestyle wrestling as well. So wow. that was, that was kind of my childhood. I kind of a messed up home life as a kid. So I stayed in the the dojos and always on kind of the amateur mats growing up. That was, that was my life. All right.
3: Um, I mean, you said your home life wasn't so great. Um, But, you know, besides that, what drove you to, you know, try to master so many different styles?
1: Uh, What happened was starting out at a really young age in martial arts, I would go to tournaments, and um, other instructors had seen promise in me, and they kind of knew a little bit of my background. So what Mm -hmm. they would do is they'd offer basically an open door for me that if I wasn't training one night in the regular dojo with my sensei, I was more than welcome to come over there and work out with their guys so i I took right. yeah, my so I, ha- I had I had kind of a small group of guys they were they're my foster brothers of sorts, but different dojos and things like that we'd sh- we'd find out what night that you guys they they would uh do sparring or kumite, and we'd mm-hmm. show up. And the deal was was if their students could beat us, we'd be there to train the next week, and uh we stuck with our home dojo, so
3: <laughs> if that's yeah.
1: Been about, yeah yeah, you know what i mean we we had a really yeah. good, we
3: had yeah we had a good nice um were you a fan of professional wrestling back then? oh yeah, of course,
1: uh, I knew probably from the age of five legitimately, <clears throat> that I was going to be a pro wrestler. I'd seen uh, my first match at uh, Hare Arena in Dayton in 1977, if that ages me a bit. But mm-hmm. um, it was the original Sheik versus Pampero Furpo. And uh, I can tell you the finish to this day, the Sheik was getting ready to throw fire. Uh, You know, you'd seen him do it on TV and everything else. And when he went to do it, Firpo hit him with a bucket of water and gave him a schoolboy. That was the finish. I was hooked. Uh Wow. Hooked. (laughs) Yeah, hooked, man. It was was in my blood. That was it. Right then and there, I'm going to be a pro wrestler.
3: All right. So now you studied in all, you know, the legitimate forms of fighting and, um, you know, how did the crossover go from, from that to training to be professional wrestler? You know, what was the transition um, like?
1: It was, it was really kind of seamless. Uh, I've been so blessed because things kind of, they, they fell into place in the right way for me when it came to that. Um, my my sensei in professional wrestling, I, I, I give four men the credit for my training. Les Thatcher, Tracy Smothers, Rip Rogers, and Bull paint Those are the guys mm-hmm. that took the time to teach me this business. But um, what had happened was, the way that I had originally gotten in, I had been taken by a con artist who had said he was going to train me.
3: And... Um,
1: He basically, him and a few other guys, they basically took my money, ran me ragged and everything else. Mm -hmm. But uh, Jim Coronet was expanding Smoky Mountain Wrestling and just bringing it into northern Kentucky and Cincinnati area. And Wes Thatcher was the guy who was kind of helping with that in some degree. I don't know all the details in that. But um, anyways, this con artist who was running this gym was talking all the boys up like he was old friends with Les and all of us were going to be working for Smoky Mountain and blah, 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 blah. And the minute that Les hit the gym, Les, Les told this guy, you're nothing but a con artist, you're full of shit, we are taking these guys' money and you need to get the fuck out of here. And said said individual never came back to the gym. And Les kind of took <laughs> over from me. <them>. So. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. The, you want to talk about the man. Les Thatcher's the fucking man. You don't, don't you All know. Right. <laughs> there's no two ways about it. Yes. But yeah. Uh, I so, mean, you he,
3: he more or less played superhero and saved the gem, huh?
1: Yeah. He, the, yeah. There's, there's, I have a great deal of pride in being able to to stick my hand out and say that I was trained by Les Thatcher. That's that's sure. You know, that's as that's as real as I can be. You know, mm-hmm. he is the lineage.
3: Yeah. For me it's like <clears throat> so, um, you know, going into professional wrestling you've obviously, you know, had some really good people to learn from when you, you know, ran into the right people. Um you know but did the the transition go easier for you because you had such martial arts training? I talked to a couple of guys who trained in martial arts and then professional wrestling, and they said it, it helped quite a bit. What was your transition it, like as far as the, the crossover?
1: For me, I was in shape, uh, cardio shape, just from uh, kickboxing and things like that. So I was able to go through that, but it was excruciating.
0: <laughs> really, yeah. and
1: truly, Les was an animal in the gym. Man, don't don't fucking think that that man. You know, <laughs> he he was great, and he taught us. You know, from from nuts man, you know, Abby to Zinc, you know, <laughs> and uh yeah. Really and truly, the, the the martial arts and things like that came in handy later on. Because of my size, mm-hmm. guys would buy me, and they they, right. they could you know, get away with it. And I was lucky enough to be able to protect myself. And, you know, hook a few guys if I had to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That that was that sure. was the part where the martial arts training came in handy. And the other thing was, with my size at that time, there was very few smaller guys in the business. So when All I right. first come to bring <clears throat> People would be making fun of me because of my size. What the hell am I looking at here? But the one thing that I understood that it it finally kind of sunk in was you can put me in the ring with anybody, okay? But it's all in presentation. And the first part of that presentation was, ladies and gentlemen, American kickboxer. Now... We've got something interesting. It's not some little guy who's out there getting ready to get his ass kicked. This is somebody who knows how to kickbox. Right? right. And I understood in the 70s, who was the biggest uh, uh, action movie hero in the world? Chuck Norris, Bruce Lee.
3: Oh, Bruce Lee, okay. Yeah, previous to Chuck Norris, okay. of course. Yeah.
1: Did anybody did anybody ever walk out of a theater after seeing a Bruce Lee film and go, you know what? That was bullshit. That was fake. (laughs) And that's the the bit of psychology that I had going into it as well. Mm -hmm. You understand? Now now just from a presentation standpoint, I've got a fighting chance. Yeah.
3: Yeah, so that's I mean, was that your is. was that your initial? Um, you went right in with the uh, American kickboxer.
1: Yeah, yeah, I I didn't switch gimmicks until a little bit later on, just kind of experimenting and playing with the the kickboxer gimmick and kind of evolving it a little bit through time.
3: Okay. Um, how long was it after you started training to, you know, in professional wrestling before you actually had your first match?
1: Um, maybe a month. As I said, I, I was taken advantage of by some con artists to begin with, mm-hmm. so they had me in the ring way too soon. And to be a little bit of that story was was as this homeless kind of teenager, I didn't have a car, so these guys who were supposedly training me or whatever else, I would have to hitchhike from wherever I was at just to go set up their ring, just to get a few hours of so-called training, wait until after the show, tear down the ring, and then hitchhike back to wherever the hell it was I was staying. You know, So uh, I, I take it really personal with training especially. Because I was mm-hmm. taking advantage so badly when I was young, and I was just a kid who was willing to do anything to be a pro wrestler. Sure.
3: Um, did you have, um, you know, once you actually got, you know, the the correct training, and you started to get into, um, you know, matches, did you have like another guy or, or set of guys that you kind of came up with the right no, way? Like there was say? one.
1: There was one guy, man, really, really and truly, just one guy. As I said, it was it was unusual if you were under 200 pounds and under six foot tall to even be considered a wrestler. I mean, Thatcher mm-hmm. thought it was a f- rib when I walked into his gym and said, yeah, I'm a wrestler. He th- he laughed in my face, man. He thought it was a fucking joke. But what mm-hmm. happened was at that gym, I met Tarek. And Tarek the Great, Tarek the Legend, um And I knew that if I was going to do anything in the wrestling business, it was going to be with him. There was no two ways about it. I legitimately moved from where I was living into the town where he lived so him and I could train exclusively together in as many gyms that were around, wherever we could get ring time. And we just focused on that. I mean, I, I worked with the guy 156 times in one year. Yeah. Wow. How insane is that? Yeah. <laughs> uh, right. Yeah. You
3: know, now being being limited um with transportation as you were, when you started actually mm-hmm. getting booked on shows and were able to do shows, how hard was it to get, you know, from place to place and how did you manage it?
1: Well, you just do it. You know, your dream's not gonna come knocking at your door. For real. So how bad yeah. do you want it? There's a price for everything in this life, man. For real. It's you've got to be willing to pay that price. How bad do you want it? That is, uh-huh. You know, that was just details. That's so what, you know. I got to get there. That's the way it goes. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't miss booking. Yeah, I took the great pride in that. But that was, you know, the first three years, four years that I was in the business. Later on, it wasn't a problem like with Tarek and things like that. I had had moved up a little bit Mm -hmm. more.
3: Now, the first time I actually saw you was um, when I started picking up the IWA Mid-South tapes, and um, I saw you on King of the Deathmatch. Um, When did you Um, actually, I know it was years before that you actually got into IWA Mid-South. How did you get into there?
1: A um, uh, promoter said he had seen Tarek and I working with each other, that the other promotions around the country weren't using us right, that if he opened up a promotion, that uh, he would give us a job. And <clears throat> he ran in April. The first show we did was, like, April of 96, I think, yeah, 96. And uh it was April blood showers. And uh ended up being a blizzard, maybe twenty people showed up, but Tarek and I worked with each other and we did twenty minutes in front of twenty people. Wow. And uh yeah, we we you know, we we those people made the trip, you understand? We can't we can't arrange the match for the people that didn't show up. Right? All right. This is where we're going to plant our flag. Now, understand that Tarek and I were the only guys at that time on that show that didn't have an established name. Not that I have an established name now or anything like that, but uh, we're talking about uh, Tracy Smuggs, uh, Dutch Mantell, uh, Dirty White Bull. All these guys were on this show. Buddy Landell, I believe. And... Uh, -hmm. A bunch of different people had walked out and they didn't stick around, the different workers, Mm -hmm. because they knew they weren't going to get paid. But, you know, two tears in a bucket, we're here, let's do it. And that's what we did. And that's kind of how I got involved with IWA. Um, You
3: know, you had mentioned, too, 20 minutes in front of 20 people. Did you always have that mentality that you were going to go out and work? you know, hard no matter how many people are in front of you.
1: Yeah, no. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're talking about somebody that, as a kid, in order for me to go to wrestling shows, I used to have to shovel driveways or I used to have to mow lawns. And not only that, I used to have to pay for an adult ticket to go with me, somebody to chaperone me, because neither mm-hmm. one of my parents were into wrestling. So yeah, I understood I understood what it took just to get the ticket to go to the show. So right. from that same from that same thought process, you know, there could have been that kid in the front row that had to do the same fucking thing that I did just to sure. go to the show and I'm you know, I'm gonna scale it back just because, you know, there's not a hundred people behind him. No, he's sitting there, you know. His money's just as green as anybody else's. Right? Yeah, absolutely.
3: Yeah, I mean, I've heard a lot, especially in the past couple of years, that um, you know, some wrestlers will will kind of—I I don't know if scale it back is you know the term I want to use, but they'll more or less I, say I, that
1: I won't. I won't. I won't
3: uh, let, let, we'll, 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 we'll,
1: let me rewind. Just I will work just okay. as hard. Right. Um. Now, will I go through fucking ten tables at night? Probably not. <laughs> Right, <laughs> because we we just we've now used the whole budget on those ten tables. <laughs> you see what right. I mean? Right, but yeah, uh, I I I would always go out and try to give everything that I had, and there's been times you know physically that yeah, but that's that's the price for it. That's for real. Sure. If I but, um, if I didn't man, do those things, if I didn't do those things, would you and I be having this conversation right now?
3: Probably not, no. Exactly. Um, all right. But um, you know, what I was saying is a lot of times these days, it's not even the amount of people. Sometimes we'll have a building full of people and you'll have wrestlers claiming that the crowd wasn't loud enough, so they kind of phoned it in.
1: Well, that means that they don't know how to work. All right. <laughs> right. Okay, if you've got a building full of people that want to see wrestling and they're not buying what you're serving, it kind of goes to the thought process now where all these guys, they lay out every move in the back before they ever go out, right? Right. So let's think about that. Let's think about that like uh, cooking. Let's say that you've got the best cherry pie in the world, man. Everybody gives you the greatest reviews for your cherry pie. Well, you go out there, and you've got a few people that are allergic to cherries. Do you still keep trying to shove that fucking pie down their throat? No, they're not going to buy it. They're not going to eat it anyway. So guess what? You have to give them a little bit of apple. You have to be able to give them a little bit of peach. You have to be able to to work. And what I mean by that is go out there. Get a feel of the crowd. If they want to laugh, you make them laugh. If they want to hate, you make them hate. You know, but it's it's kind of a forgotten art in this, you know, this kind of scripted little world that we're in right now. Uh, right. You know, I prefer, you know, the vaudevillian where I go out and I feel what the people want. I'll give the guy in the back that I'm working with some suggestions and if this fits, then we can do this. And if if we get to this, we'll do this. But let's feel it out, you know. That's, That's right. the best way I can describe it.
3: Um, so, you know, you had worked from day one with IWA Mid-South and, you know, they continued to kind of up the ante as far as the, uh, the deathmatch wrestling went and stuff. And um, you ended happened. up, what's that?
1: <laughs> I said that had nothing to do with me. I wasn't a deathmatch wrestler.
3: Right. That, I, but, I, uh, I, was, I
1: was there to do lucha libre and uh, stronger style wrestling. I, I filled in one time for King of the Deathmatches. That's right. I,
3: That's what I was going to ask. Is how did you end up in the deathmatch tournament?
1: They had somebody that no showed, and enough money was discussed, and I'm a whore just the same as everybody else was in the business, uh,
3: <laughs> really and truly. Yeah. Um, and I think you worked uh, first round against the Necro Butcher before you know he yep. was quite as as big as he became. Um, what was your thoughts going into that? You know, uh, it wasn't really you, your can't,
1: style. you can't really think about it for real. Mm-hmm. You know you know it's gonna hurt. And you can hope to come out in one piece, but you know just the same, you're gonna leave something out there one way or the other. That's you know, that's a fact that you have to establish before you ever walk out of the door room. I'm not gonna walk back here in the same physical condition. That I walked out with, mm-hmm. and that you know, it's it's an art form within itself, and I have all the respect in the world for the guys who do it. It really wasn't oh. my bag; it wasn't my cup of tea. Yeah, right. I, I appreciate I appreciate horror films, and I I like to sit and watch a good one if it's got a great storyline and they pull me together. But somebody getting their their head chopped off over and over and over and over and over and over, and over again, it gets kind of tedious, you know? I'll,
3: I'll mm-hmm. give you the
1: best. Uh, Terry Funk said this. And uh, it was his opinion on, on hardcore and deathmatch style wrestling. And I, I kind of have the same idea and the same thought process. And you look at it like a soldier going into a battle, okay? And the mm-hmm. first time that soldier goes into battle... <clears throat> He's walking down this trail, and he sees this dead body. It disgusts him. It makes him physically wretch. Do you understand what I mean? It's now embedded in his brain. When he walks away from this dead body, it's now stuck in his brain. You can never unsee something, right? Mm -hmm. So he goes further down this trail. Now he sees two bodies. And he looks over. Now, he's never seen two bodies before. So he's kind, of, he's kind of shocked by that. He's not really retching anymore. But now he's seen two bodies. Now it's in his brain. And he goes further down the trail. By the time he gets down to the end of the trail, he's got bodies stacked up to his fucking head. And he doesn't even look twice at it. Why? Because now he's seen it all. He's become completely desensitized to the image, just even the image of a dead fucking body. He doesn't even look twice, and that's the same thought process I carry with deathmatch wrestling and some of the hardcore that I see. It makes sense.
3: Yeah. So you think a little bit too much has been done?
1: Right. Yeah. Completely. Completely. Okay. We we used to have a business where the people questioned if it was real and it was a work. Now these guys are beating the shit out of each other for real and the people are calling it a work. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it's, mm-hmm. Yeah. Psychology is completely fucking different.
3: <laughs> yeah. If uh,
1: I If I can build that? you... Hold on a second. Now, if I can build sure. you to the same pop By throwing a timed kick to the head, one kick, not a hundred, one kick, and I can get the same reaction and the same pop that you get hit with this, that, and the other with, you know. And me and the guy I'm working with are going to walk out in the same condition where, you feel me? (laughs) Yeah. There's an art to this. and The art form has been forgotten to a degree. That art form being, we are unlike the wrestling businesses, unlike any other form of entertainment whatsoever, because you're working in front of a live crowd with one take, doing all your own dialogue, doing all your own stunts, and keeping it within your own time constraints as well. And there's Mm -hmm. no other form of entertainment that can do that. You know, no no theater, no movies or anything like that. So you get what I mean? It's so much more than people actually give it credit for. And uh, sure. I've seen it in the past. It's it's the perfect boot camp for the entertainment industry if you're wanting to go further in the entertainment industry. Take the tools you learn from the wrestling business and you can apply it to other um. things.
3: Do you think it's become harder over the years to entertain fans?
1: No. No, not at all. Why?
3: Ask me why. Well, the overdoing of things. The
0: no,
1: no. <clears throat> no. Completely no. People go to theaters for movies, right? hmm Okay, people come to a wrestling show for what? Wrestling. So, if you give them wrestling, if you give them something that that suspends their disbelief for that brief moment in time, the same as a movie, that's the art form. So, of course, it's not any harder. No, the people know what they're coming to see. What the art form is is figuring out what they want to see and having the ability to give them that right
3: um, so when did you decide to get into you know training guys and um, you know doing what you do you know in, in that aspect um, <clears throat> in
1: 1999 I met a young man by the name of Isaiah and Isaiah asked me to watch his match he was a backyard wrestler at the time and, uh, he was doing little independent shots. These promoters were bringing him in anyways. And he asked me to watch what he was doing. And I watched his match and he had great athletic ability, but it just wasn't their wrestling. And I gave him my honest opinion. If you, if you ask me my opinion, I'll give it to you. And, uh, He had asked me, he said, well, do you think you could help me? And uh, I thought about it for a minute. And growing up in martial arts dojos and teaching in the dojos and things like that growing up, I said, yeah, I can teach you. So nine years of three to five nights a week on the road before I ever taught anybody anything about the wrestling. Yeah, and Isaiah was my first student.
3: Wow. Um, now, um, the um, the NapTown Dragons, as as they were, um, Drake Younger and Scotty, and OMG. Yeah. Um, how did they come into um, you know training with you?
1: Okay, uh, there was a promotion in Indianapolis called IPW. Now, there's a few, <clears throat> another guy from the Indianapolis crew that he didn't exactly get the Naptown Dragon title, but Poison Apollo Star and uh, Clifton Crunk were also a part of that 12, as well as a guy by the name of Dave Davidson. All right. Okay. These three just happened to to hit it big out there on the East Coast, but these guys were also part of that foundation. These are the guys, you know, steel sharpens steel. Makes sense.
0: Mhm.
1: Okay. Yep. So, um <clears throat> these guys I had came in to do seminars and teach for this promotion, IPW, and I recognized that these guys had talent. And uh there was only one way that I could train them, and all of these guys, we basically would load up. As I said, three to five nights a week on the road, they lived on the road with me, and that's how I trained them. I taught them the business from the inside. They were there before shows at many promotions, setting up rings. But the minute they got the rings set up, they were training and I trained them basically the same way that I was trained, adding my own little here and there from things that I picked up on the road as well. But sure. every one of those guys truly, truly, truly paid their dues, man, because they lived it. They lived it 24-7, and they, from the word jump, they were on the road with <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that And that was, that was the only way that they could truly learn this business. And I, I think uh, that it speaks for itself, you know.
3: Um, now, the term gets, you know, thrown around a lot and redefined by a lot of different people. Um, you know, it's guys like you who really know what it means. What's your definition of paying goose?
1: Paying dues. Um, there's a price, as, as I said, for everything in this line. And paying dues is being on that road, making nothing, and uh, uh, setting up rings, training. It's it's not getting beat up. That's that's such a bullshit idea of what paying dues really is. You know, you're not a tough guy if I give you if I give you my arm and you fucking break it. That doesn't make you a tough guy now if you you tell me hey i'm getting ready to try to break your arm you know give it your best shot <laughs> right so right. so i think that's where i think that's where the 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 misuse of the term is you you have it's just like a band or any any other form of entertainment i do comedy now and music and it's being on the road, for nothing, and willing to be out there doing it, just hoping and putting it out there. You know what I mean? You've got to be out there doing it to be able to have a true shot. And nobody, as I said, dreams don't come knocking on the door. And paying those dues is working for nothing, eating shit sandwiches, and fucking smiling the whole time you do it. That, that's my idea of pain news anyway all right
3: now, uh, you had mentioned Cliff, and obviously you know you guys are out on the road. Cliff asked me to ask you about um uh, Muskegon, Michigan, and tell that story,
1: okay, man, and because he said it, I'm gonna have to tell the complete uncensored all right this is all right man, it's it's a little shady here and there, man I. Uh, <laughs> No animals were harmed, as far as I know. Uh, (laughs) But as I said, I used to take these kids on the road with me. I think he was maybe 17, 18 years old at the time. And uh, I was doing uh, a loop in Michigan. For those that don't understand the loop, I try to start out at one point and work a circle all the way back around to the point that I started. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of those shots, I worked from Detroit over to Muskegon, Michigan. And it was for the uh, bloody midgets at the time. My job was basically I'd go out there, I'd talk shit on the microphone for five minutes about dwarves and midgets and da-da-da-da-da. 300-pound midget would come out and power bomb me at the height of about three foot and then hit me with a stink face and they'd pay me. You know, tough Tough gig, right? <laughs> yeah. But uh at the same time they're also filming this video series called uh midgets gone wild, which is like the girls gone wild thing, right? So <sighs> what's a perfect thing to have a seventeen year old kid doing? He's walking around this place and I gave him the video camera. And I said, Whatever you do, man, just point the camera wherever I point to and uh so anyhow, later on that night, da-da-da-da-da, we ended up splitting uh, ways. Somehow or another, earlier in that night, a 300-pound midget got a blowjob, and we filmed the girl who blew him, walked back to the bar, and kissed her boyfriend right on the mouth. But anyhow, <laughs> that's neither <laughs> here nor there. Uh, but somehow, me and Cliff had gotten separated. I won't go into all the details of that. You yeah. know, Anyhow... <laughs> All right, cool. yeah, there yeah it's it's sketchy, 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 there, yeah, anyhow <laughs> <laughs> i am trying to save people's faces here, man, please,, <laughs> <laughs> right. hey, you brought it up, <laughs> I know, and that's I'm trying my best, I love the kid, and i just you know. <laughs> <laughs> so we ended up getting separated, and he was supposed to end up back at the hotel I was at, uh, supposed to go to. hotel ended up sold out of rooms, so I ended up getting a hotel room in the hotel beside it. Da-da-da-da-da, Cliff comes back to the hotel that he thinks I'm supposed to be at, and I'm not there. All right. Mm-hmm. So this hotel calls the state police. Cliff is wearing nothing but like a Weed Fest fucking 2000 shirt. <laughs> and, <pair> fucking... <laughs> and the state police are coming to get him. <laughs> <And> now,
0: <laughs>
1: up north in Michigan, apparently these people did not know the difference between a truck stop and a rest area, right? Mm hmm. So. A uh, lady at the hotel tells me, because I go over to this hotel to see, you know, if he even had came there or whatever. And this lady tells me, yeah, uh, state police took him. I'm like, holy fuck, <laughs> you know, great. <laughs> 17-year-old kid, his parents are going to fucking kill me right on. Here we go. Uh, so uh, she says that, yeah, the state police had taken him to a truck stop to see if he can get a ride. So I'm driving up and down looking for a fucking truck stop not realizing that I keep passing a rest area as I'm looking for this truck stop finally it hits me hey stop at this rest area I pull in and I ask this lady hey has there been a guy and before I could get it out of my mouth she said you mean Cliff I was like oh shit (laughs) she said yeah he left with a group of bikers (laughs) <laughs> so there's my last mental image. Cliffy in a rest area in Muskegon, Michigan, getting with a crew of fucking bikers going God knows where. And I spent the whole day just, you know, slow rolling, trying to stopping at damn near every exit between Muskegon, Michigan and Indianapolis, Indiana, trying to find Cliff. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So but to his credit, he ended up somehow, some way, and he could tell the rest of that story. He got back. And when he got back I called him up and the first words out of his mouth was I get it, man. I understand. I'm a man now. Meaning he had went through somewhat of the same things that I had to go through at his age to get from point A to point B. And I half jokingly said, "Well, I'm getting ready to go back on the road." He said, "When do we leave?" And I said, "Shit, this kid's got it, man." He said, "You know, what the fuck else did he say?" He just hitchhiked basically from Muskegon to Indianapolis and was ready to get back out on the road and at it. And that's paying fucking dues. It ain't about yeah. let me get you a fucking chokehold, let me break your arm. That's paying fucking dues, and uh, nobody can ever take that from that kid nobody.
3: Sure. Um, now, I mean, you had all your trainees, and um, you know, how would you describe these guys specifically? You know, individually. I mean, they're all very different as far as wrestling and style and mentality. And um, um, you know, if you went down the line with these guys,
1: just the NapTown guys, you you, you got to understand. Well, I've probably trained at least a hundred guys. Well, yeah, I mean, that core that <laughs> we were talking about with, okay, uh, you know, Cliff. Start, start shooting names. We'll, we'll do it that uh, way. Well, Cliff. Cliff was a younger version of Izzy High. Completely. Uh, I, I have a term that I use called "bont." B-O-N-T. Balls out, no tomorrow. And that was Cliff okay. Cump. yeah. I don't know. O M G. Uh, love him to death. He used to sit in the back seat of my car because of my personal medicinal habits. He was a straight edge at the time and used to cover his face with his T shirt as I used to travel. <laughs> because he didn't he didn't want that evil marijuana getting anywhere near his system. <laughs> All right. But uh did ah. somebody else, man. Uh in the Marine Corps. Um doing great things. He's uh, he's my hero, man. Mm, yeah. Um, Scotty Vortex. <coughs> Scotty Vortex? Um, <coughs>
3: excuse me. Scotty Vortex, uh,
1: I thought so much and think so much of his talent. Uh, if we would have done American Kickboxer 2 back then, he would have been the fucking guy really and truly Scotty vortex. You know people do not understand the potential and the ability that this kid has. I mean th- they've only barely fucking tapped into it and he's
3: still young. My God. Well, yeah. mm-hmm. um possibly the the most um you know well known on the east coast and now you know working for the big fat, uh younger. <laughs>
1: Never heard of him. <laughs> That's an inside joke between me and Drake. So. Mm.
0: <laughs> Never heard of him. Um, <laughs>
1: um, Drake. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, you know the joke then. Yeah, I heard the giggle. But anyhow, <laughs> um, I love him, man. He's my son. That's that's the best way I can describe it, man. I love Drake. I'm so happy to see uh, the good things that are happening in his life, man. That's, that's really and truly the the best way I can describe it. Uh, heart, uh, spirit, and uh, yeah. yeah, I, I love wow. the kid, and I'm so I'm so so proud of him. Not that I'm I'm any less proud of any of my guys. He's the you know, right. He just happened. He just happened to, to get the opportunity.
3: <clears throat> Die Hard Dustin Lee. Uh,
1: no comment.
3: Yeah. All right. Um. <clears throat> well, I, I was going to follow that up with the um. Your thoughts. I mean, you're their sensei on the whole meltdown that happened between these guys. Um, they came to the East Coast. They were tearing it up. Uh, it was the three of them. Drake became a little bit more popular. And, um, I mean, yes, before you know it, there was... That's...
1: Yeah, that's for them They're out, man. I have no comment okay. on that. That's, that's their okay. business. That's, that has nothing to do with me.
3: Okay. Um, so then, um, you know, you're talking about the deathmatch wrestling. Drake became a huge huge name in deathmatch wrestling. Um, you know, winning all sorts of deathmatch tournaments and everything and, and just being, I mean, one of the absolute best at it. Um, what were your thoughts on it, you know, as as he went through that?
1: He had a plan.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: That was it. He had a plan. Um, if I can get your attention one way Let's see if I can keep your attention or another, and he was able sure. to do it, and that's what he did, you know. And look at him now, yeah. You yeah, know, he he he, him and I had a discussion, many many, many discussions, but um, <clears throat> the part of it was when he was first starting out with, uh, who went to the the camp for WWE. And they had told him, they had said, uh, we're not looking for cruiserweight wrestlers. And uh, he had asked me about, like, success. Should I feel like a success or something along those lines? And I asked him, I said, man, you know, think about everything that you've done for real. You you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. He, he He could have legitimately... Uh, uh, considered his a career uh, success at that point. There, how many guys even just get the call? Hey, we want you to come here. How many guys are making that call themselves? I mean, let, let's let's take a look at how many fucking tough enough videos were just out, right? Sure. Which I, I, I which which I completely hated, and remind me of that right after this, please. But All right. uh, they called him. They called him, you know what I mean? They said mm-hmm. we need to take a look at you. So he had a plan and it worked. Now sure. let's go to tough, let's go to the tough enough and I'll give you a quick thought on that real quick. All, right. all these guys all these guys they put out all these videos and everything else, right?
0: hmm
1: Um what negotiating power did any of those guys have?
3: None
1: Okay So what they were saying Is I'm just willing to Be this whatever You know what I mean I would so much rather Get in the way Drake did you know what I mean Sure They called him He he, he wasn't begging them He wasn't putting out a 30 second video Saying I'll blow pat- oh, Excuse me I didn't say that Um <laughs> Yeah, I did But anyhow uh, Yeah, so What kind of negotiating powers And let's take a look at the history of the show itself You know, there's been very, very few guys That were ever elevated from that And they were guys that, you know, was years, years later after they actually did the show, that they, they, you know what I mean. There is no yeah. instant gratification. If you're looking for instant gratification in anything, you know, it's again back to that price. You got to be willing to pay a price for it, because we're 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 living in a society where we want it now and we want it for nothing, right? Well, mm-hmm. if, if you want it now and you want it for nothing, what do you, you know, what are you getting? <laughs> Well, <laughs> yeah. Right? I can hang my hat on the fact that I did it. You know what I mean? I didn't sit around wondering if I could do it. I just went and did it. And I live my life that same way to this day. I don't sit around and wonder, hey, could I do this or could I do that? There's only one way to find out and I just fucking go do it. And that's yeah. you know that's a as I wander on in a million five thoughts.
3: Mm-hmm. Um, who were your favorite matches that you've had, or what were your favorite matches that you've had over the years? You had to name a few. Yes, yeah,
1: sure. um, Reckless Youth would be a, a great. I had a good couple matches with him. Uh, one of my favorites in the South was Todd Morton. Todd and I in the Memphis territory, we had we we were lighting it up for a minute. Um, Tarek, of course, uh, Supernova, um, uh, uh, just recently Tommy Rogers passed away. I had a really, really fun series with him down in Memphis, uh, yeah, um, man, in 25 years. One of my favorite matches was probably the Iron Sheik, uh, just because of a, a really cool friendship that I got to uh, form with him because of it. But uh, my favorite matches were always probably with Tarek. Uh, there's no two ways about it. Again, if if I hadn't met Tarek, we wouldn't be having this conversation
3: like that. All right. <clears throat> hey, you mentioned the Iron Sheik. Um, he had... You know, obviously, had legendary status in the business for a long, long time. I'm back. Oh, real quick, sorry, I
1: didn't get it. Hold on, hold on. Uh, uh-huh. I, I have to throw a couple more names out there, man. It was just because if I don't, it'll hit me later, and I'll be like, holy shit, when did I say something? Suicide Kid, man, what a talent. Mm-hmm. He was a very, very talented guy down in IWA. Um, and another guy who's in a wheelchair right now, and I'll tell you, his family, when I was out on the road doing comedy, or if I just need a place to recharge my batteries and get away from everything, uh, Psycho Kid, Richie, and, uh, Liz Bergen, they, they've looked out for me on times where I just needed to get away from the world, but, uh, if if I didn't mention guys' names, those two guys' names, then I'd done disservice there. But I'm sorry, go right ahead with your, your question again. I'm sorry. All
3: right. Um Iron Sheik had, you know, legendary status in the business and you know, it accomplished so so much. Um he had right. gained this uh big internet sensation in the, you know, mid two thousands with the uh the RF video shoot interview and became known as almost a sideshow at that point. What were your thoughts on that, you know, having been, you know, in the ring with them and, and those type of things. And what was your thoughts on it?
1: My thoughts were he was relevant at that point in time. You know what I mean? We're having the conversation about a man who was on Howard Stern at that time. Have you ever done Howard Stern?
3: Right. Have you ever done the Howard Stern show? No, no, of course
1: not. <laughs> okay, how many, ti- how many times has he done Howard Stern alone? Quite a few. Okay, so maybe he's insane or maybe he's a genius, huh? Mm. <laughs> right. You're something about a man at that time who could barely walk, but he was making money just making appearances at strip clubs. He was relevant. So sure. whatever he had to do, you know, you're talking about a man who who was a former bodyguard of the Shah of Iran, okay? Do you know, right. How much do you know of his true story?
3: Yeah, I mean, a little bit. I, I watched his, uh, his okay, documentary. Okay, I, I, but... I'll
1: give you a little... Yeah, I'll give you a little bit, and this is just from him and I chatting, okay? hmm Now... His hero was a man by the name of Habibi. He was a uh, a known wrestler in Iran.
0: Okay. Right.
1: Habibi started, uh, what was the movie with a Russell Crowe Gladiator, right? Right. Habibi was kind of getting that. Yeah, yeah. He was trying to get that. They were giving him that same kind of build. He was getting the national support. And the Shah of Iran was afraid that Habibi might have goals or aspirations of going into politics and the Shah of Iran had Habibi killed now the Iron Sheik was a bodyguard for the Shah of Iran and he knows that the Shah of Iran just had his hero killed imagine what that would do to you, you
0: know what I mean
1: right. so you're talking yeah. about a man who who watched his hero get killed knew how it was done and then the other struggles just to get to this point in his life. And then he's again relevant in two thousand five and able to make a living from it. God bless it. God bless her sure. and I had I, nothing but love for sheep, man. for real. You know, I mm-hmm. love the guy, man. I'm so happy that you know, with this country, a lot of times we build people up just to tear them down, right?
3: Right. Mm-hmm.
1: And the really great thing is, is now that documentary's out about him, and we get to see him built back up again. That's beautiful. Right. You you don't yeah. just destroy somebody and leave them for dead. Yeah. What have you done? Right. Yeah. I, I'm so happy to see that he's getting the recognition that he deserves.
3: Yeah, I, I thought the documentary was excellent. I learned a ton about him just watching that. And, yeah, you know, I was just wondering because you had, you know, you, you've seen what he has, you know, accomplished and you've been in the ring with him and everything. And it, it just did seem like exploitation to a certain extent, you know, at that time.
1: Of course it is, man. But, you know, the vultures will come around, you know. Mm-hmm. The, vultures, the vultures see a fucking, you know. Sagger and getting ready to fall—they'll always be there to fucking you know take what life left. You know right. he just happened to make positive out of something that was really exploited and negative, and I'm I'm happy for. Him. Sure.
3: Um, <clears throat> you had uh, you had mentioned politics, and you you have a uh, you know a lot of pretty big thoughts on politics. You had mentioned in the video you posted about um. You know, he might as well just uh, hire an actor to be the president. And uh, now we have uh, Donald Trump going to be a presidential candidate. I mean, that's sitting pretty close to home to what you were saying.
1: Well, the thing of it is, is he's a distraction. That's all. He's a distraction. He won't won't run. He'll be out of the race. uh, Mark my words. He'll be out of it long before it ever gets started. He's just a distraction right now. Keep people from paying attention to the people that are actually going to run. He's just stirring interest. He's got people talking politics now. That's all. He's a distraction. Uh-huh. You know, let, let's talk politics then. Okay. Uh, uh-huh. Boy, you open pencils box here. Holy <laughs> All right. <clears throat> right now, give a disclaimer. These are the views of. Anyhow. What we've got right now is we're looking at the Clintons and the bushes, all right? Yeah. Uh, you're talking about people with backgrounds in pedophilia and drug smuggling, and these are people that are being held to that kind of esteem? I mean, for real. It, it was proven that the Clintons brought cocaine in through Mena, Arkansas. Bill Clinton's own brother said, Bill's got a nose like a fucking vacuum. <laughs> you know?
0: Mm, yeah.
1: That's his own brother saying this. You know? And if you want to argue Hillary with me, let's argue Hillary. You know, if Hillary was really good at doing her job, wouldn't she have headbutted Monica somewhere around Bill's waistline? <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, if anything else. She's All she's done is cover for him, which makes her an accomplice, correct? Sure. Uh, legal. Let's, let's speak in legal terms. If, uh, if your best friend murders somebody, and you know your best friend murdered somebody, and the police come to you and they ask you questions, and you refuse to answer, what are the police going to say to you? They can charge you with being a what?
0: An accomplice.
1: Of course. So, how did this get somehow lost? You understand what I mean? Sure. Okay. Bill Clinton used to go to a private island owned by a guy by the name of uh, Jeffrey Epstein and fuck little girls who were, you know, minors. This was like pedophilia fantasy fucking island, but nobody talks about it. Nobody talks about how it was exposed in the 80s that our government was bringing in the cocaine to flood the crack epidemic that was going on and using that money to fund the Iran-Contra affair. okay? And much like I said in my my, uh, video and my CD, what we've got right now is we've got history repeating itself, and nobody seems to care because our streets are flooded with heroin. And we've got all these wars going on, but where's the funding for these wars coming from? Where's this money coming from? Our streets are flooded with heroin. Where does heroin come from? It mm-hmm. from Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's the largest producer of poppy in the world. They, per- uh, I think the, the number was in 80, between 85 and 90 percent. Five percent of the world's poppy comes from afghanistan okay i've never seen right. an airplane in the hood i have never yeah. ever seen a plane in the fucking hood it's got to get from point a to point b one way or the fucking other okay you can talk about locking up all these street level drug dealers but how about eliminating point A before it ever gets to point fucking B and your streets wouldn't be flooded with heroin? How about closing down these methadone clinics that enable these drug dealers to keep this drug addiction going? You want to fucking eliminate it, especially in small-town America, because we hear about this all the time. Drugs are in small-town America. Man, you cannot fuck somebody in small-town America and somebody doesn't know about it, right? Right. So you can't tell me that these people don't know where the fucking drugs are coming from in their fucking town. Mm
2: -hmm. So
1: you want to eliminate the fucking drug problem? Go to the fucking drug dealers. Go to them. You can eliminate it in your own town yourself. You do not need fucking help. You set up a protest outside of a drug dealer's house. How crazy is that, huh? You think that might get the law's attention? Think it might eradicate anybody else wanting to set up in your fucking town? It's not that difficult of a thought process, you know. Don't pass the fucking buck. You want to eliminate this shit, eliminate it. Don't fucking play. well, if we did this and we did that, do it. You know, I'm tired of watching kids die on the street, man, because that's where I came from, man. I'm nothing but an old fucking street kid. We used to have to sleep in them streets, man. And to watch these kids die, it kills It kills
0: Yeah.
3: Yeah. Absolutely.
1: So, you know, yeah. think about that. Think about that. If, you, if you, you're from small-town America, you know who sells drugs right there in your fucking town. You know where the heroin's coming from. So how come you're not having a fucking protest outside of this fucking place on a public street? You don't think that would put a little pressure on a drug dealer or a cop?
3: Sure. Right about that.
1: You know, it, it's it's thinking the way that this thought process keeps getting passed down from generation to generation. You want to end it? Fucking end it. Don't fucking use, okay, you can't have the same people running the prisons that are bringing the drugs in. Okay, it's a repeating cycle. They're getting paid on all fucking ends, (laughs)
0: you know?
1: Yeah. For real. Mm -hmm. um... Mm-hmm. There's much more profit for the people in control of the fucking drug trade to keep it flowing like that. Yeah, if mm-hmm. you want to end the drug trade, you can truly fucking end it. And you can end it within your own community. And the same thing goes for the police forces. As everybody complains that they want, well, we need something done about this police force. Fucking do something. Do something. That is something that you can do within your town, within the government of your town. You don't need the military coming over. You do not need your police to be nationalized or military. It can be handled on a local level, and that's what we keep forgetting. The people have the power, okay? People truly have the power. That's what kills me about junkies and the fucking 12-step program. And that's why most uh, most people in recovery don't fucking succeed, because the first thing that they want you to do is what? You have to admit you're powerless. I'm powerless over drugs and alcohol. No, motherfucker, you're the only one with the power. You're the only one with right. the power, <laughs> and that's where we right. fucking screwed from step one. You are the one with the power to change anything in your fucking life, anything. And that's where we yeah. get so lost. Okay, we're, we're we live in a society of hope. All right. Do you mm-hmm. do you know the origin of the word hope? What's that? The word hope it comes from this great story. It's of Pandora. And Pandora was given this box by the gods. And the gods said, Pandora, do not open this box. It's full of all the world's evils. Okay? Well, Pandora opened this box and all the world's evils came out. And then hope came out. Now, when the gods gave Pandora this box, they didn't say to Pandora, this is a box of all the world's evils. And oh, by the way, There's hope in there. This is a box of all the world's evils. This is the great deception. Okay? It requires absolutely nothing, no physical effort whatsoever to hope. There's actually more physical effort in the act of prayer because you're physically actually doing
3: something. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, definitely.
1: Okay. So you've got a society of people Filled with nothing but hope. What was what was the one word on the Obama campaign big fucking poster that was under his bust? What was the one word? Hope. So, we've got a society full of nothing but hope. <laughs> it's the great deception. Do mm-hmm. you see what I mean? Does it make sense to mm-hmm. you? Sure. So, what I'd say, instead of sitting around just hoping waiting for your pizza to be delivered without even making a fucking phone call. You know what I mean? That's what you're doing. You're waiting for a pizza to magically show up to your fucking door. You haven't even made the fucking phone call. So Mm -hmm. what I try to tell people is, is I live by a theory called the deadly six. And what the deadly six is, is any time that you find somebody that's not happy with where they are in this life, they will revert back to one of six things. Those six things are coulda, woulda, shoulda, guilt, sin, and blame. And what these people are actually saying is is they're not willing to take personal responsibility for their own fucking lives because they've always got one of these outs to revert back to. Does that make sense? Yeah. Two things have happened by living my life by this theory. Number one, Nobody can bullshit me. Why? Because I'll hear it. I'll see it in their actions and their delivery. But number two, and more importantly, I can't bullshit myself because I'll hear it out of my own actions or out of my own mouth. So take personal responsibility for your own happiness, your own existence in this world. Don't sit around and hope. Fucking do it. It's the only way all you right. can. And once you do, guess what? Nobody can ever take it away from you. Nobody. Sure. Yeah. I'm living proof. I was a fourteen year old street kid, man. I used to sleep at gas station bathrooms, man, when it was too cold outside. Just trying to get out of the fucking cold. Okay. If I can do it, anybody can. There's nothing special about me. Nothing at all. Anybody has the power to do anything that they want to in this world. They've just got to
3: remember that. Right. For sure. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of people dwell on a lot of things, and you see a lot of negativity and people acting defeated in life, and, you know, they start stacking the chips against themselves. And, uh, uh, you know, what what do you advise is the way to happiness and to live day to day and not have, you know, um, this dark cloud hanging over yourself. Cause a lot of people seem Sweet. to, you know, create it for themselves.
1: Well, it's, it's, it's kind of simple. I'll give you a couple of thoughts. Now. Uh, John Lennon was asked when he was a child, what do you want to be? And he said, happy. And the teacher said, John, you, you don't understand the question. He said, no, you don't understand the answer.
3: All right. um, what
1: we've forgotten is our dream man. What is our dreams And if you're working towards that dream I don't care if the, you, you understand what I mean If you're putting that effort Towards that dream How could you not be happy I'm mm-hmm. living my dream Is anybody else out here living their dream I am Do you see what I mean yeah. So what we've got to do Is we've got to remember the, the original gift That was given to us That separates us from every other animal Or every other being on this planet And that's clear and coherent thought Right? We give that uh-huh. up so easily Just the same as any other animal By becoming a reactionary being As opposed to Using the one gift that was given to us A thought process Right and Most people uh-huh. We have what we, we have this facade in front of us This wall That somehow some way we can't get over this wall We keep running our fucking head Into this wall not realizing It's a fucking wall My head's not going to crack this fucking wall Dad maybe I step back And I look at this wall And I think you know if I went this way around it, I could go around it this way. Or I could actually go over this wall if I was to go this way. But the last thing I'm going to do is keep running my head into this same fucking wall. Right? Right. And that's all we've got. We've got people with flat fucking skulls <laughs> running around <laughs> on our streets today. <laughs> right? Yeah. As silly yeah. as
3: it makes sound, um, something else that you know, um, you're you're mentioning a lot of you know what's wrong with the uh, the government and everything else, and uh, something I've noticed a lot lately, and um, you know, I've been thinking about, and you probably have a big opinion on it as well, is the prison system, and it seems to really, you know, they say that. You know, we have more incarcerated people than anybody, any other country on the planet.
0: Uh, but business. it seems
3: the the prison system is set up for people to fail. I mean, um, yeah, you know, you hear how hard it is, how survival-based. I don't think that makes people more equipped to live in society once they've gone through kill-or-be-killed, you know, survival of the fittest mentality for however many years it is.
1: Yeah. Same Same thing that goes with the soldiers that come back from war. Right? Right. You're, you're, you're talking about mostly the kids that go to war probably come from at least 85% Christian backgrounds. And they've grown up with thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not kill. And then the first thing they're asked to do is what? Mm-hmm. Right? So. Yeah. Let's look at let's look at it in the same thought process. It's a private business. War is a private business. Prison is a private business. Okay, you have groups like the Carlisle group who sell weapons and defense and everything else that oh, wait a second. Like the Bushes were a part of this group and the Bin Ladens and all these different people. That means they make fucking money sending all these people to war? huh, so if they make money from war, I'm willing to bet what's the one thing you're not going to see fucking happen in too quickly. Yeah. And the same thing goes for the prison system, okay? How many nonviolent drug offenders are in the prison system, right? Right? Yeah. If they're making money if they're making money from these nonviolent fucking drug offenders being in the prison, how quickly do you think they want to clean heroin up off the street?
0: Yeah. they not the
1: right? Yeah. Of course not. Of course not. <laughs> That's their fucking source of income on how many different levels. Yeah. Now we're thinking amazing fuck. Bring me to a wrestling show, god damn it. We'll talk about nothing of wrestling. we <laughs> 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 are like, man, that fucking wrestling guy, man, he's facetiming some crazy shit out there, man.
0: He's been hitting <laughs> the
1: head two fucking times. He's talking about the president rigging in cocaine and fucking little kids. <laughs>
0: uh, uh, I, it's I knew you, you know, about <laughs> so like a lot, lot of things. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, well you That's gotta understand to something. Well, understand something. When Ed Strangler Lewis was world champion in wrestling, when Lou Fizz was a world champion in wrestling, they could go and they could speak to auxiliary clubs. They could speak in political functions and things like that. And they were able to do it not because they were dumb fucking wrestlers, just because they had a bit of brain. And a little bit mm-hmm. of sense. Yeah. You know? And again, that's, that's something that's lost. You know, you you, you <clears throat> when you understand the wrestling business and truly understand the wrestling business, you realize how easy it is for anything to be a fucking work. hmm Okay. And that's why you you might get over on a few wrestlers a few times, but any of the real boys, you're not going to get over on them. Why? Because they've seen the hustles. They know what to look for. They go, oh, wait, that's no bullshit. <laughs> hey, that's a, and that's a hustle, huh? I'll be damned. Right? All
3: right. Um, now, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, wrestling schools out there. There's a lot of, you know, smaller promotions, probably more so than ever, um, what would be your advice to any you know young up-and-coming guys who are going to listen to a lot of different people and hear a lot of different things? What would be your advice?
1: Okay, the, the very simple question to ask if you're a young wrestler going and looking for training, the first question I would ask my trainer is, have you ever made a living at this? Because if they've never made a living at this, how can they teach you how to make a living at this? They don't know how. Do you feel me? Right. That would be that would be the first most important question to ask. Have you made a living as a professional wrestler? If you have it, can you point me in the direction that somebody has? <laughs> mm-hmm. that should be the first question and then the next question should be because the first thing that any promoter is going to ask you is who trained you right unless they they just don't give a fuck and they want warm bodies that they can pay nothing it happens a lot but uh
0: hmm mm-hmm.
1: Uh, So that would be the first question, okay. Um, Then the next question should be, what connections do you have? Once I'm done with your training, where can you take me next? Because as I said, I took my students everywhere. And I've worked in the United States for just about every company. So they, you know, one way or another, they had exposure. Um, or if I didn't work in that company, I, I knew people that did. You understand what I mean? So I had the mm-hmm. ability to to Scotty or Drake or those guys, hey, that guy's over there. Go over, you know, if I wasn't there with him, hey, tell him I said hello and blah, 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 blah. You know, all I can do is open the door. Your ability is what's going to have to keep that door open. Yeah. it sure. make sense? And, yeah. and you know, I opened the doors for the guys. That's all I did, man. Those guys, did their work and their, you know, their abilities is what, you know, out of that. But so that would be the first two most important things I would ask. Have you made a living at this and what connections do you have? If all they can do is hook you up with Joe Blow from fucking Kokomo, look elsewhere. Look elsewhere. The, you know, the Internet's a fucking amazing thing, and I'm sure you can find it, and remember, there is a price for this, you know, Um, I I call it a blessing, because I was able to see this country on somebody else's dime, you know what I mean, when the first time that I I picked a wrestling ring in 1977, that little kid, if you would have told me give me every fucking bit of money you've got in your pocket and you can get in that ring for a minute, I would have gave you everything I had just to get Mm in that ring for a minute. You know what I mean? And today, guys paid anything that you had in your pocket just to get in that ring for one minute the first time you've seen it. And now people pay you to get into it?
3: Within that same uh, statement, what do you think defines a successful wrestler.
1: That's that's for them. That's for them to decide, not me. How am I to judge anybody else's success? Right. If they went out and did it, they're successful. You did it <laughs> Sure. Right? Right. Mm-hmm. I can't tell anybody their level of success. You know, are are they happy with what they accomplished? Do you think they can accomplish more? That would, you know, there you go.
3: So more or less, um, each person's satisfaction of their accomplishments is is the get, measure of success. I can't tell you.
1: I can't tell you what makes you happy, right? Right. Okay. <laughs>
3: Yeah, it's very, very true. Um, so, yeah, um, I mean, is there anything else you want to put out there? I definitely want to have you back on, you know, in the future. Um, I mean, you have such thoughts on so many things. so You can go down so many roads. We'll be here all night. Um,
1: <laughs> That's it, man. I, we'll, I'll take you down that yellow brick road. We'll look behind the curtain as long as you've got the brains, the courage, and the heart. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's it.
1: Um, I would just like, if everybody would, uh, check out my C D slash video. Um, the concept behind it real quick, um, look up Izzy High Top Art 13 Team on YouTube. Um, the concept behind it is is I deal with a condition right now. It's due to being a professional fighter. And being a professional wrestler, I deal with uh, seizures. I've had 15 concussions. Uh, I'm legally not even able to drive a motor vehicle at this point because of this. Mm -hmm. So the concept of the video, um, if you watch it from the beginning, is the beginning is life flashing before your eyes. And if you're just given a few brief moments to say something, what would you say? And for me, I think that I would try to entertain my friends, but I'd also try to inform, you know? And that's Mm. kind of the concept behind that. And uh, before I get out of here with you, man, I'll I'll tell you how I close my shows. And it's a message that I think um, it rings through to this day. And it was given by... Um uh, man who I consider to be my my comedic hero and icon, and he passed away. And his name was Bill Hicks. And uh, I close try to close my shows with this. And uh, I, I think, as I said, I think it's as relevant today as it was when he said it. And uh, the world is like a ride in an amusement park, and we choose to go on this ride. It's really brightly colored. And it's full of thrills and chills. And some of us have been on that ride, and we begin to question, is this real or is this just a ride? And others have come back to us and they say, hey, don't worry. Don't be afraid. This is just a ride. And we kill those people. (laughs) Shut him up. We've got a lot invested in this ride. Shut him up. Look at my big furrows of worry and my big bank account. This just has to be real, but it's just a ride. But we always kill those good guys that try to tell us that, and we let the demons run amok. But don't worry, don't be afraid. It's just a ride. But we can change this ride any time we want to. It's a choice between fear and love. The eyes of fear, they'll tell you to buy bigger locks and more guns, but the eyes of love see us all as one. Here's what we can do to change that ride right now. We can take all that money that we spend on weapons and defense each year, and we can spend it feeding and clothing and educating the poor of this world many times over, which it would do, and then we can truly explore space, both inner and outer, in peace. Thank you.
3: Nice. Yeah, man, so like I said, I, I'd definitely like to have you back on the future of or- I know there's tons more I could talk to you about. So um more than welcome <laughs> to come back
1: now. My, yeah, absolutely my pleasure, my friend. Thank you so much for hitting me up. Uh, anybody listening, Real Izzy High on Facebook. And as I said, check out Pop Art 13 on YouTube.
3: Absolutely. Have a great night, man.
1: You too, my friend. Thank you again.
3: All right. So there you go. There's Izzy High, American kickboxer, then the the NapTown Dragons, and many, many others. As he said, he trained over a hundred people. So um, yeah, you know, that, that's a guy that's been through a lot and has some really deep thoughts on things. I'm pretty sure you could tell by uh listening to him talk. Very interesting dude. So um, hope you guys enjoyed that. I'm gonna play this song. I believe you've heard this one before, but uh, it's worth a replay. And uh, I'm going to hit the bathroom, come back, and I'll do a little uh, Tournament of Death recap. All right? Check it out. There's no stopping what can't be stopped.
0: No killing what can't There's be stopped. something eaten. out there waiting for us. You can run but you can't hide
1: from the west side, nice. Talker, shit talker, run and tell them Mr. LM, nigga with the gat, and I'm back. off the everyday praise that I sweat
2: rollin' with a pole, chase ya through South Central, muggy wrench hoe, shit no that, she'll get the bow sack, cause I'm not starvin', but fuck that, Johnny Carson hoe,
0: never had me on a late night show, Coming with the shit that'll hit steady mama, cause the flavor's good, there goes the neighborhood nigga with the bird.
1: the dog caught up in a rapture but you know anita she can get the Peter eat him up yum and your board real bored billboard and the editor catch the predator out but how that
3: Uh, My Battle Frog race this weekend, it's an 8K. Um, Last year I did it, and it was a 15K. They kind of altered it a little bit this year. It's an intense race. It really is. It's uh, built by Navy SEALs, uh, designed by Navy SEALs, I should say. They're not out there constructing things, but, um, yeah. So um, pretty intense stuff, and I'm looking forward to it. This is going to be a really good race, and... um, yeah, you know, just hoping the rain stays away. It's kind of a consistent thing throughout these races. It's like, hopefully it's not fucking brutally storming. I know, uh, they have at least one water crossing where I got to swim across the lake. It's been a minute since I did one of those. Um, that definitely, uh, beats your lungs up pretty good, especially when it's all sorts of hot out there. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to the race. I should be able to place really well i've been doing well over these past couple of races and uh i i can pretty much expect to only get better um one thing that i think is a huge huge plus about this race is uh this will be my first race this year that's not a mountain race uh, my first two races were spartan races and they were on mountains uh, at, uh first i had the vernon beast which was 13 plus miles on a mountain and then i had the uh the spartan sprint which was in uh tuxedo park which man i'm telling you that shit was only 5 miles but uh, it was it was up there with the beast that's how rough that mountain is and they cram every one of those difficult obstacles from a beast in a shorter distance so uh, it, it's no joke and that um that tuxedo park mountain is jagged rocky motherfucker so um, English town is not a mountain, so there's some hills, there's some really good uh, stuff to you know have to traverse in English town, but uh, it's, it's not a fucking mountain, so um, I'm definitely looking forward to my first non mountain race, and then uh, I've, I'm thinking, trying to think of what's next. Oh, and then another English town won the following month, so I got a couple months in English town. And then it's uh, heading out from there to a couple other joints. But um looking forward to it. Um, what else? Next week, it's going to be a rough week. I'm really not sure exactly what I'm doing with next week's show. Um, I, I have, like I said, the biggest trip that I've ever been on um, next week, starting Thursday night. Like, we have to leave Thursday night at, like, midnight. Um, so I don't know if Wednesday night I'm going to be doing the show. Um, I want to say I am, but I'm not really sure I'm going to have to play it by year because I'm going to have my race to go over for sure. Next week I have, um, I definitely want to go over the, cause I haven't watched it yet, but the little bit I have watched, I'm very excited to finish watching the, um, the RF video Nick Cage shoot interview. Um, I have already have a lot of thoughts on it without even having seen half of it. I've seen a little less than half of it. But I'm not going to get into my thoughts about all that just yet. Um, uh, I'll do that next week, as well as reviewing my race, previewing King of the Death. But like I said, I'm going to play it by ear on exactly when I'm going to do it. Uh, maybe it'll work out better for me to do it earlier in the week. I'm just not sure yet because, again, I have this big trip. I know somewhere during that trip, too, I'll be doing another show on the road. So I don't want to save all of the gauge talk and the uh, the battle frog talk for that because that's going to be a thing, you know, within itself uh, on the road with fucking White Packer Hogan out there and all sorts of shit. So that's going to be its own thing. Um,. But, yeah, just stay tuned for all of that stuff. Anyway, uh, Tournament of Death Team. Now, here's the thing. A lot of people shit on this, and, uh, you know, you always get these people that come out of the woodwork calling things the worst ever and and that type of thing. Um, I don't... I, I definitely don't want to say that it was the worst ever. Uh, I do have my criticism of it, which you will, of course, hear. Let me just uh, pull this thing up. Uh, Jesus. I had the page up on the iPad, and then, uh, you know, things kind of switch up. Just bear with me. Um, Here we go. All right, so um, the show starts with DJ coming out and doing tribute to Dusty Rhodes. And um, as I said before, you know, tremendous, tremendous loss in the world of wrestling. Um, So, you know, it's to be expected that all the shows immediately following Dusty's passing will be, you know, uh, paid tribute in some way, shape, or form. Um, So... You know, it, like I said, to be expected. Um, The first round started off with uh, Jake Chris versus Ron Mathis in a barbed wire boards match. Um, Why this fucking iPad just did that to me again, no clue. Um, It just randomly decided it wanted to shoot me to some app page. That was really nice of them. Um, So anyway. Uh, Jake Chris versus Ron Mathis in a barbed wire boards match now um, I think a a large problem with a lot of this stuff I think it's very very crucial that you book the correct steps in these matches Um, and it's not to me it's not because hey I'm really picky and unless you murder yourself in every match that I see, then I'm going to shit on it. That's that's not really the case. However, I have not seen too many standout barbed wire boards matches. Um, you might see a good spot here and there. However, first things first, if you put a giant board in each one of the corners, portion of your crowd cannot see. And you will see in every one of these matches, there's a portion of the crowd begging for you to break that board. They don't care if you set it on fire. They don't care if you hit it with a chair to break it. They don't care what happens for you to break that thing, what move you hit, who stalls about it, who who evades, who does anything. They do not care how the match is going. They want that board to break so they can see the match. So at least one-fourth of your stipulation is completely irrelevant to that portion of the crowd, where normally if you put a light tube bundle in one corner, that whole side of the crowd is dying to see that thing get busted because it's close to them. So now that's the close-up action that they want to see. It's kind of the opposite, and you defeat your own purpose because you're putting a weapon closer towards someone who now can't see the action because of your weapon. So it's a really stupid stipulation, really fucking stupid stipulation. The only way that they should use barbed wire boards is laying down, Um, you know, on chairs, on the outside, across the guardrails, whatever you want to do, even if you want to brace it from the guardrail to the floor, so it's still on an angle. do what you wanna do, but when you prop those big giant boards on the on the fucking posts, no one can see um, and beyond all that, if you're sitting in the middle, you're still going to see not not the best death match action it's It's just not the best stipulation. It's not like, well, you know these are the best all out matches, so the sacrifice of most of the crowd not being able to see is worth what these matches deliver. That's not the case because those matches just generally don't deliver. Right? Classic death matches, best best death matches I've ever seen. I don't think uh, if I were to come up with a top 10, not one of them was a barbed wire board match. One of them might've included a barbed wire board, but it wasn't one of the matches where you set up one in each corner and the whole fucking crowd could not say guaranteed. So that's first things first. Second thing, um Jake Christ is a fantastic wrestler. He really really is. Um one of the CCW's best wrestlers. oi 4K is, is a tremendous tag team, one of the best tag teams in in the United States. Um Jake Crist is not a deathmatch wrestler. I don't think he did terrible in this in this uh in this tournament, but not I mean you gotta understand c z w is going to gain criticism just following a tournament that was headlined by Masada and Jun kasai in the finals i mean you're you're going to get criticism out of that yeah had Takeda Numazawa, um Jun kasai. I mean, the tournament was absolutely fucking stacked last year. Um, Arrow Boy, I mean, you had so much in that tournament. Now, I'm not saying CZW needs that to complete the tournament. I just don't. I don't think that that's the truth. Um, so I'm trying to say all of these things in the most fair way possible. But I also don't think that J. Chris did the tournament justice by being in it. Um... And I don't think he did a horrible job either. But it's rough when you when you book these eight-man tournaments. Well, this one was actually nine. Like two, four, six. Yeah, not, this one was actually nine because of the one three-way that they kind of randomly threw in there. Um, in an eight-man tournament, it's rough. It, it's really, really rough. And, you know, Jake Chris was put in there in order to work the the death match storylines up some more because you have the Nation of Intoxication up against Ohio's for Killers. So storyline-wise, it makes a million points of sense for Jake to be in the tournament. But as far as, um, you know, the tournament going, like just the most brutal display of violence and all that, that was only one thing out of a few that they did wrong, that I think took away from the tournament. Um, and I'm I'm not gonna you know keep harping on the Jake thing because Jake is like I said a tremendous wrestler, and I don't think he did horrible in the tournament. I I just don't. Uh, he defeated Ron Mathis. Uh, Ron Mathis is a guy who just won the um, the Masters of Pain tournament. So you know this is a guy that can go. And he, he can go above and beyond in a death match, but because he really wasn't into the storyline, he was put out first round. Um, match number two, you had uh Matt Fremont up against Josh Crane in a pits and strips match. So you had the um the uh, you yeah, some, know, some pits of different things, some tax, what not. Then you had the um the carpet strips. They were done up kind of in the Caribbean spider web kind of way into boxes, but it looked, it looked like shit. Quite honestly, it looked, it looked like complete shit. The, um, these little boxes, they looked like they were built by like a 12 year old and they were just like these, these things where you had to put them down real light cause they wanted to just crumble as you put them down. Um, you know, I mean, you could have done something a little more creative with the tax strips Um, If you wanted them to stand out, you could align the ropes with the tack strips, kind of like a 200 light tube, but with tack strips. If you did that as well as things, that match would have stood out a million times more. Um, But it's all about effort, you know what I mean? Um, And you don't have to do 200 strips, but if you did, you know, uh, 10 of them on each set of ropes, You know, you're talking 40 strips and then do a couple strip bundles. You know, maybe, uh, you know, something, a a strip board that you could slide under the ring and have them use like a chair spot or something like that. That match would have stood out that much more without those shitty little boxes that that were built. And they they just looked like garbage, you know. um, Like I said, it kind of Caribbean spiderweb-esque. But not really. You know what I mean? And um Josh Crane is a tremendous tremendous wrestler. I'd like to see a lot more of him in C C W. Um, he was a Drake Younger trainee and um you know, it was good to see him. Obviously you want to see a lot more of him. Going up against Matt Tremont, you know, kinda of the favorite to win the tournament. And uh, you know, first round you can't expect him to um advance, so you know, it's it's kind of a kind of a given. But, you know, it wasn't bad at all. Um, next match was Danny Havoc versus Ricky Shane Page in a Light Two Bundles match. Now, this was
1: this was the show stealer right here.
3: Um, light Two Bundles, you almost cannot go wrong. Now, I'm not saying that's all that made this match because the talent in it is is tremendous. But Light Two Bundles, you can almost not go wrong. You use them in the right way. They make a giant fucking impact. Um, obviously, you know, you gotta pick. Yeah, I mean you gotta pick your spots. Can't have, you know, the whole first round's like two bundles or it'll get boring. But this is one of those steps that it it's hard to go wrong. If you have the right talent in the ring like you do here, um it it's kind of a win win and, and this match both talent wise and stipulation wise was booked to succeed. And it did absolutely insane spots out of the, um, Danny and, and Ricky. And, uh, you know, Ricky took the light tube in the mouth and then Danny ran him into the post. I mean, just absolutely fucking crazy shit. He took like a... Um, uh, fuck, man. Danny took a, like a choked slam to the outside through light tube board. Or, I mean, just, just crazy shit. And there was a ton of salt in there. Just completely coated his head. Um, the finish with the um, the light tube board on the, uh, I believe it was a sideways ladder, or was it on chairs? I, I think it was on, yeah, it was on chairs that were set up the way that they don't really give too well. Um, that may, you know, making it that much more dangerous and stand out that much more, and a fucking superplex off of that, just absolute brutality. Danny, after the match, which I really didn't, you know, you saw the blood all over the side of his head, but you really didn't notice as much in the live crowd as you did on the uh, the pay per view is he had blood pissing out of the side of his head. I mean, it was like a straight-up stream coming out of the side of his head fast. Like, holy shit, like a lot of fucking blood. Um, So, I mean, just absolutely insane match. You know, nothing more I could really say about that. One more thing I actually do want to point out, and I'll uh, jump ahead just a little bit, you know, to point this out, is uh, Danny Havoc, big fucking shout-out to that guy. First round, he comes out with a J.C. Bailey shirt on, and second round, he comes out with a brain damage shirt on. So, you know, I thought that was just a really, really nice tribute to two guys who would absolutely be in this tournament if they were still here. And, um, yeah, I just thought that was an awesome tribute. So, big shout-out to Danny, of course. Um, Next match you had Connor Claxton versus DJ Hyde versus Nick Gage and a fans-bring-the-weapons match. This was probably the second-best match of the first round. Fans bring the weapons as hit and miss. Um, there's ways they can do it, which, you know, it doesn't go over as well as others. Um, it had it had its ups and downs. Um, its first down would be DJ Hyde starting the match in the way that I just got finished uh, with my show with Masada last week he agreed with me that it's a ridiculous, ridiculous move for you to smash light bulbs on your own head before the match because now it makes shit look less dangerous. So who's the first one in this tournament to violate that shit? Oh, of course, DJ fucking Hyde. And that's the thing, man. Like, DJ, he just fucking tries too hard sometimes there's points in this match where dj looked really good but sometimes he tries too goddamn hard he just he just does um i'm trying to think of a second thing he did that was dumb uh i i know there was a couple but um oh yeah when he he licked the fucking thing um, he, he did the, uh, the light tube smash on his own head thing, which, like I said, just makes it everything look stupid. It doesn't make you look like the baddest motherfucker in the match. I mean, you're in the match with Mick James. What the fuck, man? You think the crowd's gonna go, oh, my God, DJs, we've all seen them bash the light tube on your own head. It makes the next light tube someone smashes look like shit. Just does. Stop it um dj like i said he has his little up point man i'll tell you what fucking he was going back and forth with gage on the outside they're brawling fucking throwing strikes back and forth dj's being stiff with him you know he's throwing back nick gage has to do the fucking eye rate and hey man obviously you know it's it's a work and this and this but you have two guys being stiff the one got to hit the fucking eye rake again is either the heel or he's trying to kinda of get his way out of that striking situation. So, I mean it it does it does look good on him for for uh Gates to you know get out of the situation with an eye rake or an eye poke. You know so there's that. Then uh at some point in the match DJ gets into uh and weapons like this, I can't stand. I can't stand the fucking hacksaw weapon type thing because it's not believable. You know, you'd saw the god the guy's goddamn head off. You know, you could take a hacksaw and go through fucking metal. Like, you know, what I mean, you could you could saw through a pipe without a problem with a with a hacksaw. So. To pull out a hacksaw and start really going out a guy's head, eh, come on. It, it, it's it's a little unbelievable. So it, it's fine. You know, you do you, whatever, that's fine. But then fucking DJ has to do the look how crazy I am, lick the blade of a hacksaw, and then stick his tongue out afterwards and just just looks like a fucking goon. It doesn't, it, this shit doesn't look cool. It looks like, oh, God, come on, dude. Enough with this shit already. Um, it, It's just dumb. Um, I also personally don't like the sexual um additives in deathmatch tournaments. Like, enough with the fucking dildos and the fucking blow-up dolls. To me, it looks like shit, you know? I mean, we're trying to sell fucking violence here, and... It's you know might as well just like one guy wrestled the match with a fucking clown nose on like it is. I don't know I I just that's that's my personal thing obviously not everyone feels that way because there's people who show up a cardboard cutouts of a fucking uh, a broad with her legs open and uh, a cardboard penis in the second end and it says DJ on on the chick I I don't know I mean there's obviously people who do. Enjoy the uh, the sexual aspect of male deathmatch wrestling. I I will never get it, but that's just my own type of thing that I, I'm not into so much. Um, I it's weird how I look in other directions for my sexual entertainment than uh you know professional wrestling. It's uh just again to each their own. Um, Connor Claxton wins this match. And I like the finish spot. I don't think it went down as it was supposed to because uh, I saw some behind the scenes, uh, you know, they showed like a behind the scenes video or someone took pictures or something of them sawing the the cinder block to gimmick it. And I think it was supposed to break when DJ turned around with the lariat. Uh, He went for the lariat. Paxton hit the, uh, you know, brought up the cinder block. And, um, yeah you know, and then roll them up after you know he's he's clutching his arm um he goes over in the first round which i personally i don't have any problem with cuz uh you know Connor claxon to me is the future of fucking CCW. he's the future of uh you know death matches he's one of those guys that's going to be a big big fucking deal and uh for hopefully a long time to come the kid is, is tremendously talented. He really is. And uh, he's fucking nuts. Now, um, couple things here. Nick Gage goes out first round. Well, Nick Gage also has a booking in fucking uh, Great Adventure over with JCW. Um, you know, by the second round where the fans are still chanting, Nick fucking Gage, uh, he's on his way to six fucking flags. So it's not CCW's fault. That Nick Gage is in there. Um the other thing is the days of Nick Gage and I uh, you know I'll go further into this next week when after I watch his his uh, RF shoot but the days of Nick Gage being a CZW guy is fucking over as far as I'm concerned. Will Nick come into CCW and have matches that you're going to remember and have matches that you can get behind because he's going to fucking go in there and kill it? Absolutely. fucking But there has never been a tournament of death in the past that Nick Gage wouldn't be there from fucking before the show till after the fucking show. Whether he went out in the first round, second round, finals, fucking won the whole goddamn thing, tournament of death was like Nick Gage's fucking birthday party. He was fucking hyped from fucking bell to bell, fucking match to match. You'd see him walking around there fucking hyped like he was ready to wrestle a second one after the first one fucking transpired. So the fact that a guy like Nick Gage would take two bookings on the day of tournament of death, no hate because, hey, man, if you're getting more bookings, more money for you, good on you, man. I don't fault you for that. But it doesn't make you a company guy by any stretch because the old Nick Gage would have never left the fucking the the site of tournament of death until the last fucking car pulled out of the lot. You know what I mean? Like this fucking dude lived and fucking breathed C Z W and Cage of Death and Tournament of Death. This isn't the guy that would come in work a fucking match and then go take another booking. He wasn't doing double duty. Do and again, The more bookings, the better for you. Uh, I'm not. I'm not hating on that whatsoever. I'm just saying, as far as it being like, this is my home. This is where I'm at. That fucking day is over. Those days are done. Nick Gage was CZW's identity back in the day, so he'll always have a fucking, um, you know, a spot in every long-term CZW fan's heart. And he's always gonna get over in C Z W because he's the fucking man, he's Nick fucking gauge. But as far as like I said, him claiming this is his fucking home, you know, coming in, working a match and fucking heading heading into Jersey, that's that's not that's not the old Nick Gage. That's just not, you know. So, um situation. Um secondly, um And uh, I guess I'll just jump on it now, and uh, it kind of continues throughout the show. Connor Claxton, like I said, he's the fucking future and everything else. Um, Another thing that I feel like took away from the violence quite a bit in this tournament is you cannot upstage your tournament of death performance with previous matches. You just can't. I mean, this is tournament of death is where you step it up to the furthest extent that you're ever going to step it up. Same thing goes with cage of death. You know, you don't, you don't do the craziest shit of your career a couple months before that and then come into tournament of death and do half of that. So I've never been a take your shirt off guy. I, I honestly think it sounds hugely homosexual. Number one, um, Number two, hey, man, this fucking guy is out there taking fucking bumps into piles of light tubes. If, if uh, you know, if if you took your random average guy in a fucking winter coat and said, hey, man, can I fucking hip toss you into those fucking light tubes over there? You'd be like, oh, fuck yourself. So fuck a T-shirt or fuck a, a tank top you know what I mean? I'm not. I'm not the guy calling a guy a pussy for wearing a t-shirt in a fucking death match. Pretty sure it's dangerous either way you look at it. I'm not that guy. But tournament of death. If the majority of the tournament is wearing their shirts, eh, especially when Connor Claxton last fucking month was in CZW shirt off death match. In Jersey, and his back looked like the fucking wife his back. He was pouring fucking blood out of his back. His whole back was fucking just buckets of blood coming out of his back. Tournament of Death, you wear a t-shirt throughout the whole tournament. I, I don't, I don't think that that's all right. I just don't, you know. And I'm not, I'm not telling you, hey man, this is how you work a death match, or this is what we need to see, dude. My thing is this. Never take your shirt off. Don't take your shirt off a month before. You know what I mean? Like, don't don't go wrestle that fucking match with Danny Havoc and ta- take your shirt off. Wear a shirt every goddamn match. And if you want to take it off, make sure Tournament of Death is the one day you do. You know what I mean? Don't not wear a shirt in death matches until Tournament of Death and then wear the shirt. That, to me, looks like shit. You know what I mean? Again, I... I'm not doing this shit with a motherfucking uh a leather coat and fucking ski hat on. I I don't give a fuck, man. So I'm not criticizing this shit as in, hey, man, I fucking I'm not saying any of that.
0: These
3: guys are fucking animals doing this shit, but either way, it does reflect on the fans. You can't insult fans intelligence, you just can't. Um I I had a great time that there's nothing that's going to take anything away from that. I had a fucking fantastic time. I thought it was awesome. Of course, when you've seen 13 other ones live, you've seen the other, you know, 15 of them live. Cause I've seen them all, even the three I didn't attend. Um, there's going to be better. There's going to be ones you liked better, but I have, a, I have a fantastic time, you know? So it's, it's, that's irrelevant to me, you know. You could judge one against the other, but I, I don't feel ripped off ever at the Tournament of Death. So this is this is great, but um, I'm just gonna you know nitpick and point out what I what I feel like were the this somewhat of a you know downfalls or what were the the bad moments or, or just general criticism on it. Um, then you had uh, Lucky Thirteen and Eric and Eric Ryan in an LOL match. And uh, this was uh, Legos and oranges and ladders um, All right, couple things here Lucky's a motherfucking baseball player And couldn't hit Eric Ryan from two feet away with an orange <laughs> He's throwing these motherfuckers like Opens a whole bag of oranges and misses them with like two, three oranges Hits more fans than he hits the fucking guy he's working then he fires one up. There was a, uh, a bus that they parked back there, and uh, fans were sitting on top of him and, uh, and whatnot. And he fucking fired a Orange up onto the bus and had the dude catch it up there. He couldn't hit the guy two feet in front of him. Strange, motherfucker. All I could think is, lucky being a baseball player, you must play the outfield because uh, he he was on point from that uh, from that distance. But that close-up shit, uh, he can't be a pitcher. Can't imagine he's a pitcher. So, anyway. um. I'm not really sure on the whole uh, orange deal. I mean, I guess it was made sort of for that situation, for the throwing of the oranges. But um, I don't know. We were joking before the show saying, like, hey, what's next? And, you know, fucking barbed wire and blueberries. You know, they're going to stick blueberries on each one of the barbs or, oh, you stained the shit out of them in this match. Oh, look at all that blue. That's what he gets. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it was kind of jokey stipulation. Um, It was fine I mean it, The match was good I enjoyed the match quite a bit um, The stipulation was just kind of goofy Legos are Legos work But I, I honestly think you need a little more Legos and, and make it Make it centered around the Legos a lot more You know what I mean Do a lot more with uh, To spotlight the actual Legos Rather than And, and we have oranges And, and the latter's um, whatever type of ladders they bought These shits could not support The fucking weight of a person On the side of them So everything they were trying to do And these ladders were just trying to fucking break Things were made of like fucking styrofoam So they're trying to stand on these things And they're just crumbling beneath them And shit And uh, for the most part It's just uh, Just not a lot of thought put into You know, okay And then we're going to stand on this ladder Does this ladder fucking hold us? No but we're going to do it in front of a crowd of people. I mean, shit. Um, so a little bit of, you know, problems going on there, but, uh, yeah, you know, like I guess it was fine. Um, semi-final match, uh, Matt Tremont, Danny Havoc in, uh, carcinogen, what is, that, what is that? Carcinogen carnage match. Uh, I don't know, man. This this was a good match. Uh, you know, the two of these guys are probably the two best death match workers in the in the in the tournament right here. Danny Havoc is just fucking tremendous. I mean, he's he's probably the best in the country. Um, you know, great match. You knew it was coming down to these two. Um, and uh, Matt Tremont got the win. Yeah, you know, is what it is. Uh it's a good match. love to see these two guys work each other Because 'cause they're just like i said the the uh the caliber of deathmatch wrestler these guys are is just through the fucking roof um next up was Connor Claxon versus jake chris i didn't I didn't like this match much. There wasn't a whole shitload that stuck out about it, and uh you know I mean it was either Jake Chris going to the finals, which again not a deathmatch wrestler. So, can he do it? Absolutely. Um, He didn't do bad for himself, but in the same token, Jake Chris is going to be in the finals. Like, Nick Gage is heading to fucking Jersey. Ron Mathis just won fucking Masters of Pain. Fucking uh, Josh Crane's a great fucking deathmatch wrestler. Ricky Shane Page just took a top rope fucking superplex into light tubes. Fucking, um, but... Uh, Jake Chris is gonna be in the finals Well I mean shit like in the other match Danny Havoc is getting eliminated but Jake Chris Is gonna be in the fucking finals Uh, I I don't know about that And then you got Connor Claxton Who like I said man His fucking three matches With the Nation of Intoxication His match With Lucky, the Thumbtack match with Lucky The Scaffold match with Devin And the panes of Glass Match with Danny Havoc all three of those Matches by themselves were Better than any one match that he had in This tournament and that's just the truth That's just the absolute fucking Truth if he would have put on Those fucking matches You know round one round two Round three would have been those Three fucking matches That motherfucker would have been more over In cdw than anybody else In that fucking locker room you could have Had him fucking if you could have somehow set Up the tournament where he wrestled fucking Lucky in the first round, uh, Devin in the second round, and Danny in the fucking finals, and those matches went exactly how those matches went, except for obviously Connor winning to advance. He'd be he'd be the most fucking over wrestler in CZW right this fucking minute. Now I'm not saying Matt shouldn't have won. Matt absolutely deserved it. I'm just saying as far as Connor's fucking matches went, I does he deserve to be in the finals? Yes because of his previous performances going into this tournament. And, you know, I don't think he did a horrible job in the tournament, but not finals worthy when it could have been Tremont and fucking Danny Havoc in the finals, you know? Or, obviously, the much-wanted fucking Tremont Gage in the finals. Tremont Gage is the main event in itself so I do understand the decision not to make that the finals plus Gage had another booking. Um, but, I mean, there's no "maybe" about it. Whether you can make another show out of that or not, pull the trigger on that at fucking tournament of death, that fucking crowd is as hot as you can possibly fucking get it going into the finals. Nick Gage versus fucking Matt Tremont in the fucking finals of tournament of death, you're not going to get a hotter tournament of death crowd than what that would have been. I Understand you don't want to blow it and have, uh, you know, lose a main event on a future show. Um, but in the same token, that would be the way where you had the fucking crowd absolutely on fire at the, uh, you know, at the end of that show, either way. Um, so that there is that. So now you got your finals. Conor Glaxon, Matt Tremont is gonna be the finals. Uh, another non tournament match, Dave Chris versus Devin Moore in a scaffold match. I mean, what can you say about Devin Moore in a scaffold match? He's the fucking king of the scaffold match. Fucking guy is just tremendous at scaffold
0: matches. He's, he's
3: fearless. He does shit off those scaffolds like like he doesn't he doesn't think he can break some shit when he lands. Look clearly he can't because... He, he's done how many things, uh, you know, without incident? Dude, it is, it is great. A fucking coven down from heights. Devin is just one of them fucking guys, and, and that's, he shines his ass off in, uh, in scaffold matches. Dude's a fucking risk taker, and he does that shit without incident. Um, you know, what can you say? Dave, Chris gets a win sometime during this match. I don't know what the fuck he was going for. But um, I don't think there was anyone on the other side of the rail yet because right at the beginning of the match, all the other guys ran back out, and it turned into like a whole, almost like a six-man rather than the one-on-one. Um, But I don't know what the fuck he was going for, but Dave ran and did like a fucking flying back bump, like crowd dive shit, when there was nobody in the fucking crowd but fans. And just knocked the shit out of this dude, man. This dude is sitting in his chair. And Dave took, like, a fucking sprinting, fucking leaping back bump and and hit the dude, like, kicked the dude backwards. And he was the only one Dave came in contact with. Like, Dave wasn't even close to a fucking wrestler. He killed this motherfucker as if, like, he had heat with this dude. And I don't think he did. But he hit that motherfucker hard. That shit would have, I would have been fucking furious. You know, no, no disrespect to Dave, but I would have been fucking furious. Because it wasn't like the two of these dudes came over there. Like, he just overshot the fuck out of whatever he was going for and landed dead on, fucking dead on to this fucking fan and nobody but this fucking fan. And he just fucking ate shit off his fucking chair and was rubbing his fucking jaw because it looked like Dude hit him in the jaw with like his leg or his foot or some shit, man. Fuck all of that. So, I don't know. But, um, Devin jumped off the fucking bus, jumped off the fucking scaffold, hit the fucking, uh, the rolling senton thing, you know, like the, the Swanton DVD move, whatever you want to call it. like the, the Finley joint. Um, he hit that on Eric Ryan off the fucking scaffold. Crazy shit, man um, they set up the main event deal um which was was kind of fucking silly. They did it kind of like a tangled web kind of concept, but they built it with wood they had uh like these wood frame things, and uh you know you, you had a pane of glass- like a couple openings on the one side it was an opening and it had a pane of glass. And uh, on the other side, it had barbed wire in the opening. And they were kind of hanging from the side of the ring. So, you know, kind of suspended. And they were tied with ropes, you know. It seems like they're getting a little bit more dangerous with the construction of this shit. Because in the past, they had the same kind of thing. But they were steel construction. And you had chains holding these things. Now they're wood construction. And you got fucking rope. Like just single strand fucking rope. Um, holding the shit from there. And they moved the crab back and they moved the guardrails back so that way if the thing did fall, but you didn't have a ton of fucking leeway either way. Uh, you had the painted glass on the one side, you had the uh, barbed wire on the other side, and you had one of these hanging from each side of the um the ring. Um, so... What, what you know, purpose this really served, I, I'm not really positive because they took the bumps on the glass side. They didn't hit the barbed wire portion of those on either side of the ring. So it was more or less just there. It wasn't really used on either one. Just the of glass was which you could have set up with a lot smaller, you know, construction. I guess it was there for teaser or uh, suspension of disbelief or whatever the case was, half of the contraption on both sides pretty much just was not used. So there was that. But anyway, they set up this big crazy thing and then you got, um, him and, uh, Joe Gacy come out and they, they worked their way into the ring, you know, looking at everything around them. And then they go, uh, Oh, listen, you know, Hey, you, uh, you used to wanna to fight me and then you got uh cancer and this and this. So now that you know he's clear of cancer, which, you know, big shout out to him, man. It's that's, that's fucking badass. Um now you're clear of cancer, say, so, hey, you wanna you wanna fight? Yeah, yeah, not for me or you for the fans, blah blah blah, blah, blah. So, um that's that's another uh, match for the, the July show in the arena. So that's that's good. Um So then there's that. They just kind of set up that. And then, uh, like I said, the finals, Fremont versus Claxton, like I said, kind of lackluster compared to, you know, what they've done in the past, Um, at least, you know, as far as what Claxton's done in the past. And you do. You have a really fresh guy going in there against, you know, Matt at this point is a fucking veteran. He just completed the fucking circle. He's the one and only guy to win all the deathmatch tournaments in the United States as far as the big the big ones go, if you even count Carnage Cup as a big one, which I don't. But um, Masters of Pain, King of the Death, Tournament of Death, plus the other Carny Cups. Um, he's won all of them. And, uh, I mean, could not be more well-deserved for Matt Triemont to win that shit. This was the one that meant the absolute most to him, too. You know, he's a CZW fan forever. Um, you know, to come full circle and win tournament of death, uh, just, just fucking awesome. Absolutely awesome to see him, you know, as a guy. You know, he's not going to be one of these guys that years later is like, hey, you know, titles to title, tournaments to tournaments. So it's just the booking, you know. I didn't actually win it, the tournament, you know, the – uh The booker booked it, and it is what it is. I mean, you know that this guy winning this shit means the fucking world to him. And it couldn't have happened to a nicer guy and a guy that worked harder at at getting what he wanted. So, uh, you know, big shout out to Matt Tremont. Congratulations on winning it, dude. And um, yeah. But like I said, um, that's, in my opinion, all the reasons I listed are the reasons why this tournament got the most shit. Um, you know, as far as being uh, hated on or whatever you want to call it. Um, I feel like, to a certain extent, people were a little, you know, a little bit too critical. Um, but in the same token, I mean, you, you don't have a lot of room to work with when it's only eight guys, and uh, it's go big or go home on Tournament of Death. A lot of people have been saying it, too, like people are missing the fucking height bump. They had that fucking bus there. They had rider trucks there. I mean, you do one fucking bump off of one of those things. You had in in one non-tournament match, you had fucking uh, Devin Moore come off a scaffold and Devin Moore come off the bus. Nobody else in the tournament was going to come off of anything anywhere. Uh, it just, you know... To me, it's not completely needed, but you got to give somebody something. There should always be some kind of a semblance of what is the one sentence that someone would say if they were trying to tell their friend that they got to get the DVD. I mean, what what would it be? you got to see what, what would it be. And, and there's got to be, I mean, the more of those fucking moments you could add to your show the more talk there's going to be about your show. I'm not saying there was none of that, but I mean, come on, man, total them up, figure them out, you know, before the show, Hey man, this can go anyway. This can go anyway, but we have to add this. We have to add this. We have to add this. You hit your couple of bullet points. You know, you make sure that you land those fucking spots, whatever those spots are, whatever those moments are that you're really trying to pinpoint to, um, to make your show stand out five, 10 years later. You know I mean people i the mondo spot is is uh ridiculous to compare i mean i you know you could say you know that that spot that was you know in two thousand three, so you know twelve years later we're still talking about that spot i I understand that spot blah blah blah, I mean a couple of years after that. Neck her own wife beat her off the fucking truck um you know um i mean there there's a lot of other things that have happened that you know you can go down in history with the, the deathmatch fans, and it is hard to top, I'm not saying top, just put out an attempt to do something, and it has been you know a little while since they've done a the hype on thing they did some scaffold stuff with Kasai last year, and that's great, that's awesome. But um, you know, there, there's little things that they could do. Um, CCW's got you know a lot of a lot of things going in their favor. I think um, uh, what's his name's due back. Uh, Aaron Williams is due back any minute now. I almost want to say July. I'll be back at least from what he was saying on my show, and I'm hearing he's taking a lot of bookings, so he'll be back. But I mean, there's there's a lot. A lot of stuff going on. Um, I don't want to drag this show out any longer, honestly. So um, I'm not going to search for anything more else to say. I I know that there's other things I'm missing, but um, in the same token, I got to go to fucking bed. So um, I'm going to do a show next week. I'm not really sure when. Like I said, I'm kind of planning on Wednesday, but... Part of me is saying probably should push it sooner in the week. So we'll see what goes on. I'll definitely uh, be doing a show. I'll definitely have some of that uh, race stuff to talk about and uh, Gage stuff to talk about for sure. And um, hope you guys enjoyed. I'll talk to you motherfuckers next week. Peace.
0: Just today.